What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm so glad to have you back here with us. This week, I'm talking to Andrea Nakayama from Holistic Nutrition Lab. And this is one of those interviews that I love because we really explore her journey in business. So how she started as a functional nutritionist and grew to where she is today with a huge variety of training programs for wellness practitioners and a staff of 17. And so we're really talking about her business journey and the steps along the way. Of course, how she got her first clients and her advice for new wellpreneurs, some of her personal productivity and her morning routines, and lots more. So I think you're really going to enjoy this behind the scenes look into the life of a wellpreneur with Andrea Nakayama. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for joining me on the show today. I'm so excited to be here, Amanda. So you were actually a listener request to have on the show because from time to time, I put out a call in our Facebook group, our Wellpreneur community, and ask for, you know, who are the really inspiring people in wellness today? And you came up. And so I was so excited you agreed to be on the show. Oh, I'm just tickled to hear that. It's really exciting. So for anyone that doesn't know you, can you just give us like a quick overview of what your business is, like what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Quick. That's a tough wow. one. <laughs> yes, quickish. Yes, I'm a functional medicine nutritionist, and there are different arms of the business that we now have. So we have a clinic, a virtual clinic, where we see what we call big bigs. So people who have big health issues and have already made big efforts. My nutrition team is located around the country, and we see people around the world all virtually. We also have programs for that population that are all online. And then the bigger part of what I do is train wellness practitioners. So training health coaches, nutritionists, nurse practitioners, RNs, um, RDs in the Holistic Nutrition Lab, which is my online educational school in the science and art of the functional nutrition practice. So how did you get started? I got started just like we all do, you know, really just starting with a practice. And if I go back before I even hung my shingle, so to speak, my interest in health and nutrition stemmed from a real love for cooking. And it was translated into more of a need for health with sustaining my own health, not any big issues, but just trying to deal with energy and, you know, a little bit of weight like most of us until my husband got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And that really kicked my interest in food and nutrition into high gear. So many people who know me know this story, but I was seven weeks pregnant when my husband was diagnosed with a very aggressive brain tumor. He was given about six months to live. 
So we went into the do everything and anything mode, at least to try to keep him alive to see our son born. Of course, we were more hopeful than that. He lived two and a half years. So he died in 2002. And we were able to sustain his life for longer than was predicted. And that really spurred my interest in health and nutrition. And, you know, much of what I do today is very much in his name. It's because of the way I saw the medical system work, how I saw what does work, what doesn't work, and how often when we have to enter into the medical system, we're in sort of a yes and situation. It's not about food versus medicine. It's about where we might need to incorporate allopathic or conventional techniques and also do everything and anything we can to support our bodies and our resilience. Mm. What? Yeah, that's such a moment of transformation to really send you down onto this path. What were you doing before you got interested in nutrition? Yeah, so it's really interesting. And and I'm a big fan in talking to other practitioners and uh, wellness professionals about taking our pasts with us into our present careers. So I actually worked in book publishing and had a very successful career as a production director for first a book publisher in San Francisco and then a book packager in New York City. So I worked on big time books like Al Gore's book and all the HBO books. And a lot of that comes through in my work now. People who are familiar with my work can probably relate to the production quality of what I do. I can see how to deliver something to an audience in a way that really resonates and think about content and quality. Mm -hmm. But it didn't start there. You know, that was to go back to your original question, when and how did I start? I started by seeing clients in my dining room at my dining room table, which I'm looking at from my office right now, just sitting across from people. I started by teaching classes to the parents in my son's kindergarten class at that time and and welcoming people into my living room and talking about issues like sugar and fat. I started really humbly like we all do. And I think that process is really interesting. And it, it didn't go from from that to now, it was a process like we all need to go through to build our businesses. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that because one of the questions that comes up a lot from wellpreneurs, especially people just starting out, is how did you get started or how did you find your first client? So for you, was it running workshops or like giving talks? Yeah, I did a lot of volunteer work, I have to say. And I, I think people often bypass the step of getting themselves out there. And one of the things that I see is a mistake often in the health space or in any of the wellpreneur entrepreneur spaces is that we have big ideas and we think that if we have the idea that people will come, it will just happen. And in fact, we have to actually build a following. We have to, people need to believe in you to want to buy from you. So to begin with, as I was going through school and I did all my post-bac pre-med, pre-recs to get into an RD program that I got into and ultimately didn't attend. But while I was doing that schoolwork and changing my careers, I was volunteering with a local naturopathic oncologist teaching a um, an eat to beat cancer class. 
So to begin with, she was doing all the teaching and I was cooking while people were listening. And as I started to learn and gain more knowledge, I was co-teaching the class with her. And I did that for years, started out not being paid at all, and then ended up being paid. But I was getting my feet wet, so to speak, in terms of standing in front of people, talking about ways to do this. And now I don't really talk about food and recipes at all in my work, but that was the beginning. That was the humble beginning. And then I started to translate that again to the people that were in my community, the parents in my son's class. So I would have a new workshop idea and I would put up a flyer in the classroom for people to come to that class for a five to $10 donation. And really what enabled me to grow was being in a dynamic relationship with that audience, quote unquote, and I'm saying audience because it was small groups, you know, 20 people max, seeing what resonated for them, what they were taking away from it, how they were talking about it afterwards, and then continuing to grow through that dynamic relationship. Okay, that worked. This didn't work. Let me offer it again and try it differently. And I just kept putting myself out there. So people need to believe in you, they need to trust you, and you need to continue to make yourself vulnerable. And Amanda, I want to say that when I'm teaching people who are right out the gate, they'll say to me, you don't understand, Andrea, this is a really vulnerable thing for me to put myself out there. And what I want to say is it's vulnerable every time we put ourselves out there. I'm launching a new division of the business right now for doctors it's just launching. It's super vulnerable. And we have to learn to live with that vulnerability and what it feels like to be uh, heralded for what we do, rejected for what we do, and just keep learning from, from it, not take it too personally. Oh, thank you for saying that because it, I don't know, I, back when I had my corporate job and I, when I was like desperate to quit, I would just think, oh, it's just going to be amazing. I can spend all day working on my business. It's going to be so much fun. Not actually fully realizing the roller coaster ride that it is. You know, it's such <laughs> a roller coaster ride. It's such a roller. And it's totally. so, it's precious. It's really an opportunity as long as we don't take it personally. If we take it too personally, it'll knock us down and we won't put ourselves out there again. But it's the only way we're going to make this work is to put ourselves out there. I'm curious because I think for a lot of people listening, their business almost feels like a baby or something. Like it feels like it's like their creation, you know, and it's this little thing that you're nourishing. And, and so I think because so many of us have that sense, like it's our little business, then we do take stuff personally. So I'm curious for you, like how have you... I don't know how, what's your mindset around that? Like, how have you gotten yourself to be more resilient so you could put yourself out there and really challenge yourself to grow? It's interesting. That's a great question, Amanda. And I think about it and it's totally true. You know, I, I of course, I'm a single mom since I lost my husband and I have a teenager and I have my needy child, which is my business with 17 employees, right? So there's, there's a lot to nurture there and it's frustrating, it's exciting, it's rewarding, it's all of those things. And I, I think it's some of it comes down to what I'm going to call perfectionism. So 
People often think I'm a perfectionist because I have very high standards of excellence. I am, do not think of myself as a perfectionist at all. I do have a high standard of excellence, but for me, it's all a process, just like health is. So a lot of times the mistake we get into when we're trying to help people with their health is that we want to fix it for them. And the truth is that health is a journey for each and every one of us. It's a process that unfolds. And when we're working with people, when we're working with an individual, we need to be in that dynamic relationship with them, see what works, what doesn't, and keep moving. That's how I am with my business as well. So it's very dynamic. It's just like, you know, you think bringing in magnesium or kale is going to work great for everybody and it doesn't work for that one individual and you have to learn why and what happened there. Same thing in the business. You put it out there, you get a response and you keep going. So I think that the preciousness actually relates to some level of perfectionism that we think it's going to go out in the world and it's going to nail it the first time. And what helps us is when we get into the dynamic relationship with whatever we're creating. Mm -hmm. And it's very much like parenting. You know, you, you try something and you don't know what you need to know until your kid presents with an issue and you're like, okay, we're going there. I didn't realize we needed to have that conversation, but I guess it's time. They always show you what you need to learn and where you need to step up. And that's the same with our business. Mm -hmm. And I think tying it back to what you said earlier about it's it, part of that is having that engagement with your audience, with the people that are showing up for you, even if there's just 10 people or even just two people, like totally. really having that back and forth and getting not kind of getting out of your own head and about what you want to create and instead just tuning into them. Like what's going on for them? How can you help them? One of the things that we do still is we actually interview people who have gone through different programs or even our one-on-one -on -one services. So I have somebody that I work with on my team who conducts those interviews because I want to hear about the experience in the words of the individual. And at this point, you know, we're serving thousands of people. I'm teaching hundreds of people at a time. And yet still that individual voice matters to me. Mm -hmm. I want to hear from the individual what worked, what didn't work. And it's their words that inspire me to understand how what I'm doing lands. And we call it landing the pin on my team. So how do we land the pin right into the hands of the person that we're serving so that they don't have to work to receive what they came for from us? We've delivered it easily to them. And that individual voice matters, whether we're serving two people, 2000 people or more. So I really love like getting into kind of the journey of business, you know, like you were saying, health is a journey and, and businesses as well. So could you share a few more like roadblocks or limiting beliefs or just, just things you came up against as you were, you know, turning from that person that was just maybe a solopreneur into somebody that could actually be running a company? What, what did you come up against? Yeah. I mean, one of the ones I still struggle with is that nobody can do it like me, right? Mm -hmm. So it's my voice. I still write all of our copy. I write every newsletter that goes out and there's two a week, every blog post. That's all me because I'm a writer and it's my voice. 
So I have to figure out who can do pieces that relieve me of having to do everything. It would be impossible. I write every class that I teach. You know, somebody will say, can't somebody else edit that? No. But what can people do for you? And recognizing that we are each so unique. We do a lot of personality profiling on our team, and I can talk into that a little bit. But understanding where nobody's going to think like you, but there are places that other people are going to think better than you. And how do you train them into what it is that you're looking for? So if I can give you an image that helps me as I grow, I look think of it like a pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid, I am responsible for the outcome and vision of what we're doing and where we're going. And at the base of the pyramid might be the people who are doing all of the other things, the things that I don't do. It's my job to make sure that I'm clearly communicating outcome and vision for them to be able to do their jobs. And I say this, Amanda, even if we're solo or if we're hiring on one person to do something for us, even like write copy or you know schedule our appointments, most people do get to that place where they want to bring somebody on and we forget that we actually need to communicate all of our ideas and our outcome and vision for that person to be a success and for that relationship to work. So a lot of people starting out will say to me, oh, Andrea, you have it easy because you have other people who work for you. And in fact, that's been the biggest growth I could go through because doing it all yourself is a lot easier than Mm -hmm. having somebody else do it for you because somebody else is not you. (laughs) And they do not think like you and they do not do it like you. And the best thing we can do is learn how to communicate. So roadblocks for me are letting go. You know, I'm constantly having to let go and figure out where can I lean and also then learning how to let go so that the needs and the promise and the integrity of the business are still met. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. I'm curious, who was your first hire or what position was that for? My first hire was an assistant. And she still is part of our inner circle. She had children and left the company, but she still, you know, does a thing here and there for the company. And I really nurtured her growth and development as a practitioner because she started to see clients under me. She was there for me to do everything. My second employee was my web developer, and he's still with us. So we're talking 2010 to, you know, fast forward to now. So he's still part of the company, but he was helping me way back then. One thing I'd love to talk about also is personal productivity and the routines that people use to show up and be their best and get things done. And I think in wellness, this is especially important because we can't be running ourselves ragged and then trying to talk to our clients about wellness and self-care, right? Right. So so I'd love to know from you, first of all, do you have a morning routine? And would you mind sharing a little bit? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is a funny one for me because I'm one of those people who I I often get the reflection. I don't know how you do what you do. And somehow that my entire family is like that. We're all sort of energizer bunnies. We do a lot. 
So even my mother-in-law will say that your family, I don't know how you're always going. My dad worked up until the point where he got sick with cancer and, you know, then died three months later, but he was working up until that point at almost 80. So, you know, we're workers and that I think is, we have to really tune into who we are. My morning routine, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I go to a 5.25 boot camp class or, you know, yeah, boot camp where I work out for a half an hour. So it's right near my house. I can just walk to it. And if I don't go to the class, I usually am still waking up at five and maybe just getting a breath on my day and doing a little writing in the morning. I make breakfast, get my kid up, make myself breakfast, get dressed every day. So even though I work from home, I'm dressed mm-hmm. right now. I'm in a skirt and tights and my, you know, boots with little heels. I, I definitely act like I'm going to work. Okay. Can I just um, interrupt for a second? When you, when you first, because I'm curious your experience, because I know what happened to me. When you first started working for yourself, did you get dressed every day? I did because oh, I did. Okay. I'm actually for, as, as a production director. So mm. when I worked for that company in New York, I worked either from San Francisco where I was living at first and then from Portland, Oregon, where I live now. So even though we were never on video at that point, I did feel like I was going to work and Mm -hmm. having conversations with other people who were at work. So, you know, the preschool carpool would come and be like, you're dressed nicer than we are. And you're (laughs) just going up to your office. But I, I, for me, it feels real. It feels like, okay, I'm at work. And I, it, I take it seriously instead of, oh, maybe I'll just get back in bed and search the web a little bit. So Mm -hmm. Because for me, because for me, when I started, I, I was just like, so excited to not be in my corporate job that and and I was so excited to do my work that I just wake up and start like digging into my work. And it was a disaster. Like after six months, I realized there'd be some days that, you know, you look up and suddenly it's 4pm and I haven't eaten properly and I'm still in my pajamas. And at that point, I finally realized, I mean, this is years ago now, but I finally realized like, okay, I have to pretend like I'm going to an office. And so then that's what I do now. I have my whole morning routine and then I go into my office in the house. And work. Absolutely. And I'm I dressed. I think there needs and, structure, yeah. right? Yeah. Just some structure. Otherwise, it, it does it does feel more like a hobby yeah. than it does a job. And even though it's a job that you're defining for yourself, you're still, if you want to make it real, you need to play for real. You know? But so. the other thing is like it's boundaries. Because the other problem was like when you just work all the time in your pajamas, then you never turn off, which is a real risk from working from home. So sorry, I interrupted your your routine. So Oh, that's fine. I wake up early. I, you know, get out the door. If I think too much about it, I won't go. And so I have to like know that it's right there and that I'm not thinking about it. Get out the door. If I don't work out at that time, I'm one of those people who I'm going to get caught up in my work and I won't work out later. So it has to happen then, or it likely doesn't happen. Maybe 10 minutes of bar three, I can get in at home. But other than that, it's likely not going to happen because I'll start getting into the rush of everything that's required of me. I do then make sure I have breakfast. My kid gets out the door pretty much on his own these days. I don't have to drive him anywhere. So I will start working at 
7.30. My morning boundary is a little bloody, I would say. I'm not, I might check email earlier, see what's going on, get a pulse on everything. And then 7.30, 8 o'clock, I'm at my computer, try to start meetings and things at 9. I then divide up my my week now as much as possible so that I have uh, segregated things on different days so that I'm not switching hats too much. And that's a challenge we're often working with in my schedule. So by that, I mean, I have team meetings on Mondays and Thursdays. I still see some clients, but I see them on Fridays. You know, my team sees more of the clients every day. But for me, it's a Friday time slot I teach on Wednesdays. So, you know, just knowing what are the different things, even if you're working for yourself, what are the different kinds of things I need to do? And instead of having one big to-do list, actually segregating them out. Like I need to do some marketing planning. Let me schedule that for this day. I need to do some writing for that class or that blog. Let me schedule that for this day. And, you know, it's not as perfect as I'm making it sound, but that's our intention is as much as possible to be segregating my time so that I'm not changing hat from CEO to nutritionist Mm -hmm. to teacher to mentor to, you know, expert, because that gets really tiring and I'm not as efficient. So something else I'm curious about is social media and email. And I'm not so much into like, how do you use it for your business? I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show, but what I'm really interested in is personally, how do you deal with it? So it's not overwhelming because I hear from so many people and I know because I see them, they'll just go onto Facebook to quote market their business and like 10 hours, you know, (laughs) an hour later, they've fallen into the Facebook vortex or something. And the same thing with email, it just keeps coming in and you can't get rid of it. So I mean, how do you personally handle that so it doesn't impact your ability to get stuff done? Yeah, I'm going to give a sort of back-ended example that I think will be more applicable to people starting out. And then I'll talk about what it's like for me now. So one of the things that I try to help people understand that's been a real practice for me, and I think this is true of health as well as our business growth, is that we need space. So I always liken this to a queen on the throne. And if you can envision this, there's a queen on the throne and there's guards at her gate. And if you hold your hands out full length in front of you and put your hands up like stop signs in front of you, those are your guards at the gate. And all that space between those guards and your heart is your space to fill. And as we grow, we need to figure out what are our guards. And it could be people that are our guards, or it could be um, practices that are guards. But the reason we need those guards is because we need to be able to breathe and do our job. And if we're helping people in the health and wellness space, we need to take care of ourselves. And so if you envision the queen on the throne with all these people in her space pulling at her skirt, She can't really help people. Everybody wants a piece of her. But if she's able to have her own space and really be able to breathe, she can hear and understand the problems that are happening in her jurisdiction and let one person in at a time. So does that metaphor make sense just for before I? Okay, great. So I had to figure out very quickly what 
or who are my guards? How do I protect myself from the all the feedback, all the potential criticism, all the needs? You know, people will still Facebook message me and ask me for help on like some really serious health condition. That's not okay. I don't communicate via text, Facebook about health issues. Like that's out of scope. That's out of integrity. So figure out what's your integrity and what you do in that medium and hold those boundaries for yourself. So if Facebook is a place for you to communicate with your audience and to share information, what are you willing to quote unquote put up with there? What are your boundaries for interacting on that platform? When you're working with a client one-on-one, What are the boundaries that you need to be able to do your best work? So, you know, on my team, I will not let my nutritionists communicate with clients via text because we don't have a record of that. It's too leaky. It's like a friend. We text our friends. You don't text the expert that you're seeing to help you with your health. So how and what are your boundaries and what can you put in place there? So that's the first thing I want to say, because that's how it grew for me. I was feeling very taxed and I had to figure out where do I put up some boundaries and guards? What are my guards here? And again, to begin with, those were just practices for myself. Now I can have boundaries on my team. When people email me, it goes to my support desk. And if it goes to me directly, I can forward it to my support desk, unless it's somebody who I already have a personal interaction with, right? So there's a guard there that will help protect me. Same with social media. There's somebody who will answer that for me. But we can do that for ourselves and be able to say with a clear understanding of our boundaries and the integrity of our work, this is a great question email me and we can set up a session to discuss it. That's one way we just start to create those boundaries and those guards. And that's what enables you to grow. Again, if the queen is like, has everybody pulling at her skirts, she can't help anybody. So you're actually serving your audience. We call this serving versus pleasing right? So it might be more pleasing to that person to answer their every question and have a back and forth, but you're not really serving their needs. You're serving when you actually get everybody out of your court and you fill your space and figure out your boundaries. I hope that makes sense and translates to anybody at any stage of their growth. It does. It definitely does. And I I think I love that analogy, by the way, of the queen. But I think there's going to be people out there having this fear of, well, I can't do that because I'm just starting out and I need to just have I just need clients. So I just need to be available whenever and wherever. What do you say to that? I actually do think that comes back to this analogy of of ser- of pleasing versus serving. So by responding to somebody, you're not actually positioning yourself as the expert. And I really encourage all the practitioners that I train to understand that people are coming to you because you have an expertise, even if you don't feel like you have it. And confidence is a huge issue in the wellness space. And that's something, you know, that I learned from that interviewing 
of what people get when they come out of the holistic nutrition lab training. They're like, oh my gosh, now I have confidence that I didn't have. And I didn't even realize I didn't have it. So it's the confidence that we have to have to be able to say, am I the expert here? What is my expertise? No matter where you're starting or what you are positioning yourself as, you have an expertise and people are coming to you as an expert. And we need to create that boundary in that space so that people are paying you, they're honoring your time, and that positioning actually helps you to grow. I think there's a fallacy that if you give more away, you'll grow faster. It's the opposite. It's when we actually say, yes, come in and see me and we'll have a you know discovery or strategy session for 15 minutes and, and figure out together if this is a good fit for working together. Boundaries. That's mm-hmm. how you grow. Thank you. Awesome. So I'm curious if you could go back to when you were just starting out your business and give yourself some advice, what would you tell yourself? Oh my gosh. So it's so I I had no idea that where I am now was where I was going. And so I think the advice that I would give myself is just be open to possibility and receptive to the process. I could not have envisioned, Amanda, that this is not what I thought for myself was going to happen. And I think if we just engage in it as its own process, the world will take us where we need to go. So I think that's what I would tell myself. Mm, Oh, I love that. And I think what came up for me as you were talking was that so often we have some idea in our mind of where we're going. Totally. Push and push and push and strive and like get really frustrated when it doesn't happen and it's not fast enough and like all of that, you know, to get someplace we want to go. But what you're saying is it just unfolds, right? It unfolds. I call it um, rolling the snowball. You know, instead Mm -hmm. of like envisioning the snowman, roll the snowball. Like, where does it need to be packed more? And where is the snow? Do you need to go over there and get snow from that different area? And just allow yourself to de- to develop it. You can hold a vision out there in the future, but start humble, start small, start with seeing how one, two, five people respond to what you're doing and what you're offering. And you're likely starting with something already under your belt that brought you here. What is that that inspires you? What is it that brought you to this place where you're saying, yes, I'm ready to make this leap because all of that is what you start to capitalize on as you grow. And I mean capitalize in the best sense of the word because you're taking what is naturally you and shining a light on it and letting it express itself. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, Andrea, thank you so much. Can you tell us, I, I definitely want you to talk a bit about the, the work that you do with other wellness practitioners and what kind of programs you have for them. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Holistic Nutrition Lab is the training. It's the school for wellness practitioners. And you can learn more about it at holisticnutritionlab.com. 
We start with the digestive intensive since all health begins in the gut. We move on from that to full body systems, which is a 10 month program. And I do have a gift for everybody listening that you can get at holisticnutritionlab.com forward slash wellpreneur. And what you'll get when you go there is my three tiers to epigenetics mastery. And it's a very simple approach to applying functional nutrition practices to what we all do. There's steps that I believe we overlook in order to try to fix the situation. And the three tiers allows us to think into that really differently. So I think it's a it's a great gift for anybody listening. And again, you can get it at holisticnutritionlab.com forward slash wellpreneur. And I'd love to hear from everybody here and just hear what resonated for you and where you are in your practice and what types of things you need help with. So do visit us on our uh, Facebook page talking about Facebook. We have a Facebook page for Holistic Nutrition Lab. Awesome. And we've also got the Wellpreneur community on Facebook. And it'd be if you want to pop in and see people, we often chat about the episodes. So we'd love to have you in there. Just as a parting thought, do you have any, like, what would your, um, if you would, to give some advice to a wellness practitioner just starting out, what would your, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I would say that we, we, do just like I said, we need to sort of uh, work with what we've got. So really take a moment to digest who you are, how you show up in the world, and what you've seen people respond to about you. And I brought this up earlier in terms of the personality profiling on the team, but I've done a tremendous amount to look at who am I through different personality profiles? You know, the Myers-Briggs and the How to Fascinate and the Colby, K-O-L-B-E, which shows what kind of worker you are. Learning about myself has helped me to laugh at myself, be more gentle with myself, and also kind of amplify who and what I do so that I can, like I said, put it out there in a way that'll resonate for people. So mm-hmm. I think my biggest advice, Amanda, is is really like know thyself. Stop, take stock. And the more you know about yourself, the more your business is going to be able to model your strengths. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea, for joining us today. It's been really great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. As always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in the show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com. And don't forget to come over and join us in the Wellpreneur community on Facebook, where there's over 2,000 Wellpreneurs who listen to the podcast and who just want to talk and help each other growing their businesses online. And we'd love to see you over there. You just go on Facebook and type in Wellpreneur community and you will find us. Okay, have a fantastic week and I'll see you back here next week with another awesome episode.